This episode is brought to you by MOFAD, the Museum of Food and Drink, inspiring public curiosity about food. Learn more at mofad.org. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network. We're a member-supported podcast network broadcasting over 35 weekly shows live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. This year, we're celebrating 10 years of food radio. For the past decade, we've been taking you behind the scenes of farms, restaurants, breweries, schools, cafeterias, and more. It's been 10 years, and we're just getting started. Find us at heritageradionetwork.org. All right. Welcome to the main course OG. We're broadcasting live from Roberta's. I'm your host, Patrick Martins. Hello, Patrick. That is Mike Edison, the co-host. Hello, Mike. Uh, our guest. <laughs> Where's for, Emily today? Uh, Emily is in Cartagena. Cartagena? What, for a what, wedding. What? A wedding? Yeah. Don't in make, Cartagena? She got invited to a wedding that only cost $6,000. By, by a Colombian drug lord? What? That's not what you were saying about Cartagena. You think it's crazy that people get invite you to a wedding that you have to spend like $10,000 on. Yeah, then they want a present on top of it. Yeah, that, well, that's why they give you a year. That's why they give you a year to do the present know. for cash flow. You know how I feel about this, Patrick. If you invite someone to a party, if it's actually a party, you should be paying for it. That's what a party is. Well, so do you disagree <laughs> with people forcing you to rent a tuxedo for a wedding? Yeah, oh, yes, for many reasons, including just squashing their First Amendment rights to wear whatever they want. I know, or to presume that people are going to dress terribly. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Maybe your friends aren't that mentioning they don't own suits and ties. Well, our <laughs> guests for the Weekly Grill are Jonathan Tillis, executive sous chef, and uh, Tim Kaspar- Caspare. Uh, chef de cuisine of Pasquale Jones. Thanks for having us. Good yeah, to be here. It's awesome. Uh, your restaurant's on the Lower East Side. It's very successful. Also, calling in Eric Koss, who is the publisher of the Alameda Sun, an independently run newspaper in Northern California since 2001. I'm very excited about that. I obviously, and we all do here at Heritage Radio, support an independent media, and an independent newspaper is righteous. It's a righteous thing, Patrick. It is a righteous thing. And actually, yes, I do see a lot of uh, parallels between an independent print publication and Heritage Radio. We should Network. start a printing press right here. We're using old technology. The Gutenberg no. division. Exactly. Gutenberg. And then uh, who gets credit for the radio again? Uh, well, Marconi, but Marconi. Edison and, uh, and, and Tesla certainly had something to do with it as well. Wow. All right, so a recent... Scott Muni. By the way, in our weekly based, we cover important topics of the day and give very useful dinner kind of conversation (laughs) insight into it. We know nothing about any of these subjects. So a recent study shows that 37% of Americans don't get enough protein. And so they declared National Protein Day on February 27th. Is lack of protein an issue... In your minds for America. I want to know who this they is, first of all. Who's the they that declared National Protein Day? Because it's not the 37% of Americans that don't get enough protein, which is what your, your uh, question seems to suggest. Obviously, this is some part of the food industry you know, that's promoting something, God knows what. Um, I'm really sick of like something National Day. I mean, let's have National Mike Edison Day. And again, every day is National Mike Edison Day. Yes, in your mind. Um, in my mind. Um, 
I, you know, I don't get it. I mean, I love protein. I just, you know, I like to eat a steak. I like to eat fish. I get protein from vegetables. I, I was know. under the uh, impression that Americans ate too much meat to begin with. Exactly. And now we're declaring yeah. a day to eat more meat. It's like, don't we eat enough uh-huh. meat and cheese in this country, seeds and nuts and sushi? Yeah. I was saying someone declaring National Protein Day and declaring that's an issue is like Boar's Head promoting Boar's Head in the Boar's Head cafeteria. I mean, we need a national, you know, farmer's market day more than we need. Yes. Oh, very nice. You know. Well, I mean, I think people need to, I mean, be aware of nutrition. I'm not a For nutritionist, sure. so I have no idea, you know, what this means. Or, you know, I glance at something on the internet just to find out where people are getting their protein. I live with a vegetarian who um, I'm sorry. Know, pushes quinoa. I know it's tough. Pushes quinoa on me. She's veg- She's uh, dairy friendly, though. So we do cheese, uh, you know, seeds, nuts, quinoa, broccoli's got protein in it. Certain beans do. Certain legumes, lentils have protein. Me, I eat a fucking steak. So that's a vegan <laughs> thing, you think? You think I was a vegetarian who started National well, Protein dairy Day? Fl- uh, I don't know. I mean, but there's a, but there's vegetable protein. To me, it's not satisfying. Otherwise, I, w- I would probably go there. Right, right, right. I mean, unless I get that pork, that you know, that tomahawk <laughs> pork chop. Right, right. Then, you know, I'm just not a happy camper. But I don't know National Protein Day. But just just wait till we get to National Meatball Day, which is coming up. Right, that is right. that's a better day. Well, I, Mike really thinks there's too many days, like in Seinfeld, where there were too many uh, holiday songs. You know, at the office kind of thing. Yeah. So, so I guess the question is, so what did you wear for the National Protein a Day tuxedo. parade? Emily, Emily made me wear a tuxedo. She's it's the a big national. Day for you. Yeah, yeah. It was a big day. So is uh, this is a, uh, a national destination wedding day. This is a serious. <laughs> we're going to get real serious. By the way, if we're the view, I always like to say I'm Joy Behar. I think I'm Joy Behar on the view. You're more Whoopi Goldberg, color commentator. I'll take that. Color commentator, Whoopi, really? Really? You want to go there? Color commentator. Color commentator. Did you say color commentator? Did you say that? Sorry. The colored commentator? <laughs> is the formal restaurant a dying breed? Or is it getting stronger? What I mean by formal restaurants are reservations, waiters, sommeliers, you know, appetizers, main desserts, after dinner drinks. I mean, I think these things sort of, uh, two things. I think they come in waves, and so trends change, and people's appetite for, you know, that type of dining changes over the years. But I also think they need each other. So if you have casual restaurants, you need fine dining because you still want places to celebrate special occasions. And if you only have casual restaurants, there will be sort of a longing for a more, I I guess the word is, you know, more elevated service. I love elevated service. And I think there's a place where, you know, Fine dining, but I think the world has changed um, in such. And I, I guess maybe Bobo, we were talking about before because of what's in the news lately. But at Bobo, it's something to do with it. I mean, I can go in there and hear the Led Zeppelin and feel like I don't need to like wear my rented tuxedo, you know, you know that I didn't return from the destination wedding, um, you know, to have dinner. I mean, I can go in there and I do want to have a cocktail and I do want to have a, a, an appetizer and I do want to try different things and I want to order a good bottle of wine and I want someone to advise me on my wine purchase. Right. I want to drop some coin, but I don't, it's not stuffy. It's, it's relaxed. It's Absolutely. cool. I love that experience. So, well, by the way, I'm not. So saying, what I'm talking about, I'm like, it's casual. Plus, I mean, it's not like it's not stuffy. It's not like what would have been fine dining for my parents, which was never any fun. By the way, no, the ritual is still the same. Even casual dining as a waiter, it's a sommelier, it's drop, it's a two-hour meal. I mean, I, I was thinking more like that. It's not so much an issue in and of itself, but like in New York. So we're going to talk later about Hudson Yards. You know where you have. 80, oh, eight zero new restaurants I want the opening sampler. with 12,000 seats and stuff. One and then, brr, 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 boo, hiss. 
One of our co-mentors co <laughs> is Mark Ladner. Absolutely. So he starts Pasta Flyer, and Nick Anderer starts Martina, right. both of which are closed. That's and right. yet what they were trying to do was almost self-serve restaurant. They were trying to take away i almost thought saw, thought martina was a threat to danny meyer's you know traditional thing where you want people to sit and the tip include you know that's where you just get your pizza you're in and out in six minutes but i think there's room for both yeah and and, and fine dining will never disappear because there will be an appetite at least in new york for opulence yeah and, and i think there is going to be there's some tradition in it that will, you know, never go away. I mean, there's, I a, hope, there's event dining. I think that's very important, you know, birthdays, uh, destination weddings. But it's um, just so funny. But no, well, I actually, I haven't gone, been in the restaurant business basically for almost 20 years and also with slow food. I really enjoy bar food that's done great or just the untraditional thing because the sit-down thing i i think i just eat too much i i, I get gluttonous well, you and can't I, do it all the time and it's time consuming that's but the no, best part but listen all food theory. should be good uh, you know we say this all the time we live in new york city this is the covenant that's been established because i pay a lot of money to live here in rent and taxes it's hard to live here so that you know that means i should never eat bad pizza okay that's that's okay, <laughs> okay? it shouldn't fucking exist because i'm paying a high premium for the privilege of living here so so everything should be good. And when I go into a bar, the wings should be good. They should be better than the wings are in Cleveland or in Wisconsin because it's more expensive to live here, and it's just, everything should be better here. So, and, Tim, what do you think? Is the restaurant a dying, formal restaurant, a dying breed, or is it getting stronger? Well, I think there's two terms here. There's formal, right, which is what you're talking about. You're talking about stuffy, uh, uncomfortable places. You know, we, you, have to, you know, as a kid, you wear a scratchy sweater to go there. Mm -hmm. My brother and I actually had a rating system for restaurants we went to, like, the the stuffier it was, the more sugar packets we like dumped on the floor because <laughs> it was just it was just like wasn't fun, you know. But I think we're talking about um, formal restaurant. We appreciate luxury, and then the same sense you're talking about also, you know, what is special? You know, what what is like the new luxury? New luxury is like going to Copenhagen and going to dinner at a place like Noma, or like taking a plane, then a train, and getting getting yourself up to Favakin, where that's not formal, but that is that's a new luxury. That's mm -hmm. special. These products that are made in these restaurants they don't, don't exist anywhere else. Well, that's true. You know what I mean? So I think formal. I never liked formal. I like yeah. luxury. I like luxury too. And that's what I was talking about before. I mean, formal dining. You know, it could be a like, rock. Could might as well be a rock and roll experience. I mean, yeah. well, why not? Um, I don't want to wear a scratchy sweater. Yeah. I don't want to wear you know, you know my, my worst clip-on tie when I'm 12 years old and be forced to you know go Absolutely. through this awful ritual. No, I want to get a little loose. I want to have some fun. Yeah. You know, I want to tuck into like you know the, the best of the best. And I know it's going to cost some money. And I'm, I have good enough manners. I can you know I'm allowed to dine in public. Really. Yes. Um, <laughs> uh, excuse me, guys. You, you never take me to French chat, and if you would, you'd find out. <laughs> yeah. No, I just think it's funny. There are very few. Mart it's interesting that Martina and Pasta Flyer failed. They were essentially giving you great pizza and great pasta, almost high-end pasta, with nothing. It was just, I mean, it was a nice room, but, I mean, there was no waiter. You had to clear your own He's ahead table. of his time. I, I really think I that. I do he, think there's going to be more and he, more of those he, people who want the lupa pasta, but in three and a half minutes, and then they're right. out. They're eating on the street. And yet, I, I think Americans weren't ready for it. They they couldn't understand that the pasta flyer pasta was 
was as good as the lupa pasta, stripped of all of the extra expense, the time, yeah, table and cloth, the, the table team, etc., the flavor. Yeah, yeah well, no, people are having a hard time parsing out casual versus fast casual versus fast food. I yeah, mean, that's sort of a nebulous. I told him he should go full fast food. Have the pictures of the pasta with number one, two, three, right. four. Try to emulate McDonald's because I think that would have been the format people got. Emulate the but Tokyo also subway pasta. system. People don't eat pasta like that. It's true. It's not in the the the, the family of foods that you can just go smash a, you know around the corner and smash a bowl of you know. He rigatoni. made it that way, but you're know, right. But it I wasn't people don't think of it that like way. That. Yeah, no, there's no reference point. Like, for it. why is it that you go all these like every bar you go to? There's like, oh, there's a chicken wing. There's like. Some sort of well, you can't eat it with your hands. It's just like well, this is a great segue to a thing. Let's jump, and then we'll come back to the other one. Happy Meatball Day! Now, my God, another fucking day. Another is this National Day? We celebrate. We celebrate meatballs all the time. Well, what did you wear for the Meatball Day parade, Patrick? Now, back in the day, meatball was a term of derision for you and your generation. You call someone a meatball, you were ready to murder their family. Meatball! How dare you? That guy's a meatball. All right. No, but we were talking about chains uh my buddies at the meatball shop opened seven meatball shops and in a weird way i think the meatball was something that 15 years ago new yorkers could not just go well i guess they could at pizza places right a meatball sub i say you know meatballs are the best value on any menu you know if you really want to you go to some like all these old red sauce joints or any place you order the meatballs it's like nine or twelve bucks and it's three giant meatballs talk about protein and it's great it's enough for two people it's usually considered a side bread. as well it, i know and it's like it's like you know th- you know and the way they make meatballs these days three grapefruits sized meatballs i thought the book you wrote with joe bestian had said jews always ordered veal because it was it did the not best. say that did not say that oh no no, no. <coughs> oh it did not say that not i'm jewish so i can joke <laughs> i can joke i'm jewish so but or who orders veal jews Okay, <laughs> <laughs> but the book didn't say that. Oh, <laughs> hey guys, did you know uh, today is also National Cereal Day? Oh, please. oh, is that Eric Koss, the publisher is, of the Alameda Sun, since two thousand one? Wow. National Cereal Killer Day. Could we have more? I, am. I just had to jump in because uh, it's not only is it National Cereal Day, but it's uh, National Bee Herd. Day. You see? This uh, is like Little House on the Prairie Day. This know you is heard a radio station with a print newspaper guy on. This is as old technology <laughs> as this station has ever gotten. Well, welcome, Eric. So National Cereal <laughs> Day. Uh, not Kellogg. You mean like whole grain cereal? Or is it like sponsored by well, Kellogg's? Oh, God. I'm sure it is on some level. You know, the, every day of the year uh, is uh, associated with some kind of food product. And I'm pretty sure that's all just promotional stuff. It's Tony, it's Tony the Tiger. Happy Meatball like, Day, by the way. Tony the Tiger is a What do person. I think of it? No, Happy well, Meatball no, Day but, is a good day, oh. no? Oh, yeah, definitely. And my mom makes the greatest meatballs on the planet. So, oh. you know, I'm a does big Pasquale Jones fan. make our, does your restaurant group, Charlie Bird, anyone make a uh, meatball? It's a funny story. You know, I, I resisted it because, you know, I'm not Italian, right? I'm, I'm kind of, you know, kind of a dumb Irish kid from Jersey. But... I did live in Italy. I did work there. You know, I do speak Italian. And I'm conversant with the, the idea that meatball is not uh, meant to be put on top of spaghetti, you know. But mm-hmm. because of the kind of restaurant we have, right, we have this restaurant as a combination of, like, high and low. We've got fine dining sort of trained people, a high-level wine list. And we've got some casual food and some food that's pretty elevated for, for where we're serving it. Sure. Um, 
So I resisted the idea of the, because I think it has a connotation, right? A meatball just sound it sounds kind of like clunky meat, you know, meatball. It's hilarious, you know. But <laughs> it doesn't um, sound refined. You know, here's the thing. I was like, this is me. This is where I came from. I was like, okay, let's try. We'll put it on the menu. We'll see what happens because we're getting these great pigs. Obviously, you know about that. Uh-huh. Um, Heritagefoods.com. Heritagefoods, right? yeah. But um, thanks, Jeff. So I put it on the menu <laughs> as veal and ricotta polpettone. Nobody knows what that is. Nobody ordered it. <laughs> so, like, we, you know, we would just call it, eventually wind up calling it a meatball. And, and we don't serve went, it and on it top went, of spaghetti. And it went great guns. Yep. What's well, it? Yeah. Well, because everybody uh, wants a great version of a meatball. I think everyone is dying to be like, I got the best meatball of all I time. I think it's a pretty good meatball. Yeah, well, no, it is very good. We actually... Uh, we should I, dedicate we a show to meatballs. You know, I talk to, like, when the Daniels are on for the meatball shop. I always talk to those guys, like, after the show about meatball technique. They've been very helpful. Did you see what he made? He made a 10-pound meatball for Meatball Day on Rachel Ray. <laughs> for, oh, with cheese awesome. in it. All right, cheese. if that's the one thing that came Why out of Meatball Day, in that case, I'm for it. It's all heritage, dude. It's good. It's saving the world. So, so the, the, in, uh, yeah, sorry. No, but because it's Meatball Day... About- or um, cereal day. What, what does that mean? What is that? You know, Yolo Kroskalos. What is that? It's like, uh, it, I don't know. I get them at the Mexican restaurants out here. It's like uh, Mexican meatballs. They're kind of like giant, loose meatballs in a, a very uh, soupy uh, spaghetti sauce kind of thing. They're really good. In Spain, it would be more like in a brown sauce. It would be yeah. smaller and tighter. Yeah. Brown sauce, What were Spanish you going to say, Chef? No, just great. You know, it, it's cereal day. What, is, what, is that, what does that ask of me that it's National Cereal Day? <laughs> what am I supposed to do? Run out and get some lucky Have some cereal this yeah. morning? Yeah, it's a marshmallow. Seriously. This is two can, two can Sam's doing the talk shows. Now, when we look at fast food, it's funny. So much stuff, uh, you know, we're, like, controlled and, and, like, programmed by, you know, what we're marketed and everything. So... Why do American fast food chains avoid dark meat? Does it really taste that different? Uh, yeah, what is behind the don't put dark meat in our McNugget? If there's dark meat in there, people want to. And promoting white meat. What is really, from a culinary perspective, what is the fear of dark meat? Is it really a taste thing? I don't thing? know. You know what? I, I mean, to, to, I'm going to hop off topic real quick, but pork is a good example because <clears throat> the pork that we get, again, from Heritage Foods, <laughs> um, it's not the other white meat; it's the other red meat. It's it's dark, it's flavorful, and some guests comment. They're like, "Oh, this you sure this is cooked? Is this this is uh, is it okay? Is it off? It's not you know perfectly that 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 you know soapy white kind of color." Which maybe that's a perception. I mean, maybe the visual part for some people in, in the average color thing exactly the average you know person buying. You know, a McNugget anywhere in the country. Well, first of I, I, all, a McNugget is not even. I, I mean, don't know. You know it's so we... far removed from the actual chicken, you know, and <laughs> everything is in there. You I say mean, goo. You it's like goo. It's not even chicken. It's chicken goo. It's not white meat. It's everything. It's like chicken. I mean, Lord knows what's in a fucking McNugget. I mean, seriously. Well, I also think it's, with the exception of, you know, Popeyes and KFC, you know, it's proximity to the bone. And then a lot of the sort of fast food. You know, they want just something that is off the bone, easy to eat, mm-hmm. and that ended up being white meat. And, well, Mike, and, tell and your you know, story about the biology. I didn't even well, think well, of that well, when I wrote the question. Business. I, learned, I know. I, I can't th- believe I didn't I think of I learned this from you, Patrick. So Because this is what, you know, Heritage Foods, what your business is. You always say about heritage breeds and, and the genetics is that, I mean, even if chickens are raised well, their genetics have been so... Uh, selected for chickens that are unhealthy, meaning they grow to be obese, their breasts grow so fast that they're 
cardiovascular systems can't support this rapid growth. So that's you have these chickens that they grow in a matter of weeks, giant yeah. breasts, which are white meat, to produce things like chicken tenders and chicken right. breasts. I mean, this is bonafide breasts. They do a thyroid. They mess with the thyroid to create big breasts or it grows too fast. And they do breed a diminutive gene into the legs. So it is naturally already producing less dark meat than any chicken in history. So that they have that type of control it's over strange the breeding. because chickens, I mean, if you get like a real chicken that had, you know, had a real life, the it's legs, legs are it's huge. opposite. The legs are huge. And well, it's, kind not, of, it's not even that. Kind like, of sinewy. And the breasts are relatively small. And by the way, when people say, oh, do how do you judge a heritage turkey? What label? I'm like, no label. You look at the breast. If it's a basketball, it's not heritage. Right. If it's yeah. a high keel bone, thin breast, massive legs, it's heritage. And that's tough yeah. because a lot of people don't like that because they want a lot of yield of breast meat. And that's uh, the logistics, uh, on, on I think, that we're talking about. If you're... If you're Talking about yield of, of meat and how easy it is to process, you know, then you talk about that chicken with the huge breasts. And even his legs been, are a pain to the bone unless. And you're, even right. if it's been raised, uh, you know, yeah, you know, yeah, on pasture, yeah. whatever, if you're it's still been raised not to be healthy because yeah. of the genetics, because of its genetic line, it's you know been because two companies produce all the poultry in the world. Uh, two countries are the hatching genetics for where every single person in the world buys their chickens from backyard chickens. All the way thing, with the exception of Frank and a few farmers who over 200 years have just kept the lines going from farm to farm. It is wild how conglomerated that business has gotten. Well, talking about conglomeration, there's a conglomeration of restaurants happening at Hudson Yards. It's a big article in the Times. We've been talking it's about where I'm going to have my destination wedding. So Yards. many <laughs> new food places are about to open. Do you worry it's too much? I mean, I'm not talking a lot. I'm talking like 60 different Food businesses are opening basically in the Hudson River. What do you guys think about that whole complex? Someone's going to have to feed all those douchebags. <laughs> Stop. All right. Come well, on. I think, I think so the, the, the volume that of, of uh, housing units they created is upwards of, what, 20,000 or... I mean, it's so. It's so you're like, saying more people are going to be moving there, or yeah, and there's no restaurants to service yeah, it's, all it's the like people a college living in that campus. area. Yeah. I don't know if you've been there, but college it's huge. Campus. It's like a it's city huge. in the sky. It's like one of those, you know, utopian, you know, <clears throat> science fiction movies of like the cloud city where the rich people live. It doesn't and, resemble you know, Tom Cruise or you know whatever. And then it all go, it's all going to go bad. You've seen the movie. You know, it's going <laughs> to go Cruise. bad. Why? Like, why? You're why? Because the workers are going to revolt because the people mining the the you know you know can't get enough of it aluminium shit <laughs> that needs to power the city you're all getting weird diseases and then you know, they, you know they're going to protest and lock the prime minister in the room with like the miners haven't you seen that episode of Star Trek what's dude? that movie Minority Minority Report there's another one too it's like, it's like dude it's, this is a disaster for is a recipe for disaster. Mike yeah. said when he read Dude, I that. never want to go there. <laughs> I hope, I, I, hope I, I die. There. I hope I die without ever stepping foot in that fucking place. <laughs> Well, I, I, I think I it's good. I at think some point, there are going to be too many. Re it might not be now. It might be in 30 years. At some point, too many restaurants will exist, it's too many food shops for too few people. It's not yet. There's now a Whole Foods at every. There's either a Whole Foods, a Fairway, a tri in every little niche of New York. And they're all packed all the time. I mean, isn't it ever going to yeah. hit? When will it hit that peak and start to go down? Sometime. Unclear. Maybe it's in 50 yeah. years. No one's eating at home. I mean, when I read how many restaurants, I mean, there are food halls that, I mean, even the Neiman Marcus has had three restaurants. Multiple in it. restaurants. Yeah. I, my, my issue with it really, I think, is as, as someone who loves to dine out in New York, I, I think it's very sort of romantic to get on the train, go to a restaurant, go to a new neighborhood, 
and go there. Love it. That's true. And, I hate eating in my own neighborhood. And as someone who didn't grow up in mall culture, it feels like going to a mall to eat dinner. And and I just don't know if that feels special enough to get on the elevator. Well, actually, and say, to a New Yorker, it does feel special because well, I've never yeah. grown up with the mall, <laughs> born and raised on the Upper East Side. You too, Brooklyn. No totally. Malls, right? But it just doesn't. I don't know if it appeals to me as a place where I want to go spend a sort of nice evening. So, Eric, can you talk to us about Alameda in Northern California? Are there, you have Ferry Plaza, right? And then I know in Napa, they did that kind of center near that old museum. What about these malls packed with restaurants? Um, Is that a phenomenon there? Or even your, your wharf there in Oakland, right? Yeah, I don't know if you'd really call it a phenomenon. It's just uh, trying to get uh, different areas to be... Uh, attractive to people and have them come uh, enjoy all the different offerings. I guess you're referring to uh, Jack London Square, which has come along quite a bit. Has um, it? With some or did it fail? Is it a failed thing? No, it's definitely coming around some more. Um, some recent, uh, like, kind of hipster restaurants with, like, you know, one-word names uh, <laughs> have been cropping up. A place called Plank and things like that. Um uh, so, yeah, and there's some places that uh, have been combining things like bowling and uh, uh, arcades with food and, and drink and making a go of it like that. Um, there, there is sort of a know, real magic. a lot of to, entrepreneurs out here. To go into a place like, um, let's say, Stone Barns or, or like if you're going to go to... Uh, a real destination. You know, Michel Bras restaurant, you know. Or like, Roberta's used to be that itself, along the L train. It was a destination. Just like, you know what, that's part of the experience. You go to this place, it becomes it's, you can't, this can't exist anywhere else. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? You guys want another room, right. you just bring in another shipping container, just cut a hole in it, and, you know, boom, got another dining room. Mm-hmm. That can't, yeah, can't exist. You, you can't take that out of here and, and, and have it still be the same. So right. That's maybe part of the right. charm of, like, you know, this little restaurant we got in the corner at Pasquale Jones. It's like, you're in downtown. You're in. You're in. You know, Mulberry Street. We're going to talk about you that later. That, what an take interesting that, you know, street. Take that somewhere else. Yeah, it people, becomes something different. You know, people actually come. They stop me on the street and they say, "Hey, where's the Little Italy sign? The in the street? You know, like yeah, welcome to Little." But Italy. I agree. But to me, that's New York. It's like to go and like, say, "Hey, we're going to go down to Mulberry Street. We're going to go. To, I love Chinatown. You know. Yeah. You know. I mean, the East Village is not what the East Village used to be, but sometimes it's nice to be there and, and get a good dose. I live in Brooklyn now. I love my neighborhood, and I love. By the way, I wish there were better local restaurants because some of them disappeared. Because sometimes I just want to walk. Where in Cabo Hill? Yeah, I want to walk a couple blocks and sit down and have you know. Whatever a great dinner. I don't want to. Sometimes I don't want to travel. Some, yeah, right. Sometimes I don't mind. I mean, I'm happy to go into Manhattan. I pick for one local restaurant that I go to all the time. But basically, if I'm going to do something special, I want. We have pizza place basically. But I always want to leave. I always want. If not, I'm not. Uh, I haven't passed a threshold. <coughs> That's why I love going to Pasquale really. Jones. I was like walking through the Lower Side. Then we went to dessert at the Chinese uh, ice cream company. Uh-huh. You know, but and that's, it's just that's what New York's supposed to be, and this is why I hate things like Hudson fucking yards because <laughs> what it does is it removes any sense of neighborhood whatsoever. This has all been prefabricated; right. it's all been cooked up in some urban planner, you know, design book <laughs> with a bunch of like architects planning for billionaires. It's all a bunch of like law offices. I mean, this is like m- many times bigger, I think, than what the Amazon campus was supposed to be. Right. You could live there and never leave. I mean, you could literally be someone could be born there. They have a hospital there? They probably do, right? Um, be born there and never leave. This, I mean, the implications of this are just horrible. But by the way, I will say, Amazon not coming, big mistake for 
everybody, including the really? dummies we're go that we're protesting. As is. You're they all say. want business. All the businesses want money. We could use another thousand. It would have uh, people. It would have helped. Ten thousand. I, I, I think there's a lot of gray area in here, and I think people I don't just like want Amazon. to take sides. You know, people just want to take sides because they don't want this capitalist Bezos culture. Yeah, they yeah, know, yeah, yeah. You, you know, New York is much bigger than Bezos. And on the other, you know, he's people, just a cog in the wheel. People are just too quick to take sides on that and not get into. All right, you know, can we be welcoming details? for a second to people from the West Coast? We have Eric Koss, the publisher of an independent newspaper, the Alameda Sun, since 2001. Mazel tov, congratulations for keeping that an independent newspaper going in this era when they're all closing. So I throw this to you, you first, but then our whole uh, panel. The mainstream media, what are its shortcomings as relates to food oh, or other things, too? Goodness. Do you have, like, two hours to yeah, go yeah. on and on? But, Give us uh, the three-minute version. Well, you know, to kind of segue from the food thing, um, I've had somebody recently refer to me as like the Alice Waters of newspaper. <laughs> I mean, that's kind of ridiculous, but um, we take it like uh, it's an, uh, an art project every week. We're like these artisans handcrafting our newspaper. We have local Do you uh, make the talent paper? that the write in every paper? week. Do you and, make the uh, physical paper? Do you make the paper? Well, we we outsource that. We get it printed, but uh, we design each page ourselves. It's not done by uh, you know software or anything like that, or people oh, awesome. in other countries. Uh, everybody is pretty much local here to our city and knows our city really well. Um, so, so, food media. I mean, what's missing? I mean, chefs. I asked that to you too. I mean, how do you do? You cover food. Do you have a food section? Well, yeah, we do have a writer that does uh, include some food topics every now and then. But in general, we don't like to really judge our local restaurants quite as harshly as maybe uh, the Times or other uh, papers do. We, we want to encourage everybody to be successful. And uh, in general, that just has worked for us. Uh, a really bad review can really put a little mom-and-pop business like right out of town if but they, the fact uh, that you know. respond that way shows how shitty our food journalism is because food should not just be you know pete wells who i can't stand i'm just so sick of reading his <laughs> opinion still it that's not food i'm talking about gastronomy and all of its facets biology sociology anthropology cooking technology global warming the environment that's what i want the food section to be and i'll say Definitely. our generation is being robbed capital r-o-b-b-e-d by the food section of the new york times it should be the section that we are reading uh, you know, uh, New Yorkers, young kids are reading, and it doesn't cover any of the things I just mentioned. It covers one thing, pots and pans and and, 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 and fluffy stories. And I want global warming. Like, shit, that's well, real. Well, Patrick, I don't think anybody's that's arguing important. with that. Yeah. Why don't they but, add some articles? But I, but I think you've got, a, you've, got a, you've got an agenda, Patrick. And, you know, I know you're dying to say that you hate Pete Wells. You know, you'd like to put a, like a jihad on the motherfucker. Come on, you'd love to if you it's could. It's 15 but, years but, 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 but the Alameda <laughs> Sun, what Eric's doing, is not, is, is not relevant to that. You know, you, you know what he, I think what Eric is saying, and I think it's correct, and it's important, part of being a regional and a, and a local media is to be a cheerleader for your community. Yeah, well, that's a, that's one part of it. But I, I just want to point out that you said, uh, you know, uh, the food section has been robbed or whatever, but all of journalism has been robbed by the big media companies who consolidated 
mil, you know, tons and tons of these little newsrooms into a big conglomerate news media outlet that serves yep. no one yep. but their bottom yep. line. Yep. Yep. So yep. how do you stay independent? Well, we just, we, uh, you know, we've had people come by here and try to, you know, buy into the paper, but we immediately could sense that they had some kind of political agenda or some other kind of, like, I don't know, uh, other idea than just printing the news. And if you're here to, like, make money, guess what? This isn't the place to be doing that. You, do, you make money in financial businesses. In this business, you do journalism. That's what you're supposed to be doing, and you're supposed to be very clear about it. Whether you're stating fact or opinion needs to be a very clear line, and whether you're trying to tell a story or sell something needs to be a very clear line. And I thought that was known and established in the industry, but... Everybody just seems to have forgotten that. Oh, Eric, Eric, Eric. Eric, you're talking to the former publisher of High Times. He really knows. Uh... <laughs> hey, but, you know, I mean, listen, I know I think Eric's right. I think what you're doing is righteous. And... So what do you guys think? Where do you guys go for food news? I mean, I, I, I'm just trying to stir up shit with the Times and stuff like that, saying that we need more voices and more things to be covered. But Eater, I mean. Well, the community, the of... community basically writes our paper for us. You know, if if you want people to be reading the paper, then you should probably put the stuff that they wrote in the paper, because then you know they'll be looking at it. And if the community is telling you that they want to see something in your paper, well, that's a pretty good clue that you should probably put it in. Right. You know, well, it chef, doesn't always so, have to be you telling the story. Well, this is a paper chef, serving the community, food. not serving advertisers, whatever yeah. you're trying to say. I, I just think, you know, we, with, you know, social media is not, you know, very new, but it, it at this point it has saturated a lot of uh, you know a lot of the avenues that people you know used to kind of <coughs> um, sorry I've been like really sick so I'm just trying to thanks for coming I'm just in trying to show. hang out you know oh, sorry, man. Um, yeah. oh and thanks for I, having me guys if I didn't say it already no I, I, I only mean to say that you know you, the click clickbait is everywhere and if you know eater you know markets uh, a lot of stories, and there's a ton of information out there, and it's actually hard to kind of figure, you know, find out, you know, the legitimate news stories with all of the uh, spots, spots yeah. they do yeah. on, with you know, the, the where, to, where to get the best ramen the or Russians whatever. Bought and, yeah. But also a lot of the right. stories they publish it, are a paragraph long. They're not <laughs> yeah, fully, right, fully they're, not, right. they're not full stories. And, and, just, and it's a lot of yeah, junk. Right. There's a lot of stuff that's written very quickly. Yeah, it's exactly. not a lot edited. of junk. It's, it's by junk young people. news, like junk food, right? It's sort of like right. fast food of news up there on yeah. social media and the 24-hour news cycle. I mean, you can eat that news, but it's not going to sit well. You know, yeah, if, you, if what, you consider the source and choose a more considered yeah. news outlet, you might actually get a better meal out of it. Agreed. It's funny, it's unhealthy. We, we open the restaurant, you know, we put this pizza on the menu. It's like... You know, clams and cream and lemon, et cetera. And it's tasty. And, I, you know, it really took off. People really enjoyed it. it. It became really hard to take off the menu. And it also became this thing that was like, you know, the hot story for the, for the, when we opened the restaurant. And a lot of different media came to us and said, hey, we, we really want to shoot the clam pizza. Like, well, it's out there already. Like, it, we, how many other people have already came here to do this story on this clam pizza? It's like, it's already out there. You don't need to do another story about it. We've already photographed it. Right. We're done with it. Right. Also, Let's move on. Also, right. you know, we have a lot of people working. You know, it's not news. These websites. No. They, these websites don't pay a lot of money. You have young people trying to make their bones for a few dollars for a story. I mean, you know what? You know, 
these websites pay for a blog, 15 bucks, 25 bucks. Right. It's not like you <coughs> I mean, get paid tens of thousands of dollars even just for a few words. Well, listen, I believe in the right. democracy of the internet. I believe that the, the barrier to entry needs to you know be removed so it's not just you know Pete Wells and Pete, you know. We're yeah, everyone, everyone can be a critic. On the other hand, everyone can be a critic. All, yes. On the other hand, you've also talked that you know Yelp is a failed system because the man on the street may not be qualified I to judge your man restaurant. on the street interviews. Jonathan, tell me about Yelp, the weather. How many Yelpers <laughs> post positive reviews? Yelp is the avenue for people to, to vent instead where of bet, actually talking to their... Right. Where better to go to how the Mets are going to do this year than Jonathan? What do you think? Yeah, hot takes from Brooklyn, you know? <laughs> I cannot stand man on the street interviews. I'm like, dude, I like you, but, <laughs> yeah, but why are you talking yeah, about Donald but Trump? But you know what? There's so many people <laughs> yep. who are qualified. I mean, you know, you know some great sports fans, you know, who really do have good opinions. You know, people who know a lot about food but aren't food media right. professionals who have great opinions. You know friends who would say, Patrick, you got to try. You got to go to Jeet's restaurant cuz it's fantastic. You know, and they say, "Wow, you know, Jeet's like I have a restaurant." You know, you know, you know, Bobo said Jeet's place is the best. It's got to be the best. I didn't read it in the paper. I I heard it from someone I trusted. Was well, audience right. of yeah. one. I'll tell you audience exactly. Of one, you. Do you know the strategy for the conglomeration of the news media? They're like, we've conglomerated everything. None of our well, news is, is real anymore. We'll do more man on the street interviews to counter the perception. <laughs> we will get people on the street who have no business talking about a certain subject other than that we saw them come out of their car when we had the mic out and asked them their right. opinion. And so you think, oh, this is really the people, or that little sob story that I heard about this girl in Seattle that lost her life makes me feel like that's a good news organization. I'm like, no, it's still shitty news. That's a cool story, maybe, but it's still <laughs> shitty news, you know? I mean, the, we need more than just uh, reviews and scandal. You know, that, exactly. that's, that's Local all Local yeah. tragedies. Yeah. Well, let's local. talk. Local, that's a good word to use because right. that's the part that's missing. Is all of those local newsrooms have been sucked up into the big conglomerates and the local people are not being served. And I think that's why my paper is still here because we fiercely uh, stay uh, local. We only cover Alameda, we never cover San Francisco, uh, Oakland, cool. what's that? Never heard of it, you know. Alameda, that's so local. <laughs> You're like, we're not yeah. international. Look, I'm like, are you calling Oakland international? You're like, we're just no, Alameda, dude. local news is very, That's very it, important. I want a local news station. There's a local Brooklyn show to cover like what's happening on my floor, on my apartment <laughs> building. There's a, oh, the elevator's on 12. I'm like, That's a good news station. By the way, I will say the fast news cycle uh, keeps the younger generation from having core beliefs and things that they stand for uh i'm always like civil rights how could you forget that that was just a few decades ago it's because of the fast news cycle or the holocaust people forget even by Whoa. the way do you remember <laughs> you're going, you're going no i'm not here. i'm not you're bringing, up, you're bringing up uh, like paparazzi paparazzi used to be hated paparazzi used to be hated and now they're loved because people forget all right, we're going to take a break and then we're going to come back and uh, do the interview. How part long of the is the break going to be? I'm suggesting four years undergrad and then three years of graduate school. Hey, there is a through line. We'll see you guys in seven years. What up? <laughs> this episode is brought to you by MoFAD, the Museum of Food and Drink. Featuring a variety of interactive displays, MoFAD encourages eaters of all ages to be curious about food. The museum currently operates MoFAD Lab, a 5,000 square foot experimental space in Williamsburg, Brooklyn, 
where Chow, making the Chinese American restaurant, is currently on show until the end of March 2019. This exhibition celebrates the birth and evolution of Chinese American restaurants, tracing their nearly 170 year history and sparking conversations about food culture, immigration, and what it means to be American. It highlights the evolution timeline of Chinese American restaurant menus, dating back to 1910, and also highlights a tasting section where participants get to enjoy tastings created by the country's most talented chefs who specialize in Chinese American cuisine. Make sure you check out Chow while you still can. The exhibition closes at the end of March 2019. Check out MoFAD's tastings and extensive event calendar at mofad.org events. Are you enjoying this podcast? Heritage Radio Network has plenty more. My name is Dave Arnold, and I'm the host of Cooking Issues here on Heritage Radio Network. Every week, I answer listeners' questions on the latest innovative techniques, equipment, and ingredients in the food world. Have a question about hot-rodding your oven to make great pizza? Give us a call. Hydrocolloids, sous vide, liquid nitrogen? No problem. You can find Cooking Issues wherever you listen to podcasts and on heritageradionetwork.org. All right. Uh, we are back. We are in studio. I'm Patrick Martins. Our host, other host today is Mike Edison. I'm at the bar. And, who's at the bar. And our guests for the Weekly Grill are Jonathan Tillis, the executive sous chef, and Tim, am I pronouncing this right, Casper? Casper? Yeah, that's right. Tim, I'm not seeing any tomorrow. Chef de Cuisine of Pasquale Jones on the Lower East Side. Also calling in is Eric Koss, publisher of the Alameda Sun. So, Jonathan and Tim, first question goes to you. Tell us what makes your restaurant group, Delicious Hospitality, unique. It includes Charlie Bird, Legacy Records, and Pasquale Jones. Like, really, what makes it unique? Because there's a lot of restaurants out there. What do you guys do? Just to, to start off, you know, it's not my restaurant group. I work for. Um, uh, a great bunch of guys, uh, Ryan Hardy, Grant Reynolds, Robert Bohr. Uh, two of those guys are actually wine professionals. Robert um, Bohr is a wine professional. Yeah, I've known him early yeah, on. Yeah, he, you know, he's um, a, a huge, uh, you know, a, a big uh, part of that company. And Ryan Hardy, the um, basically the chef owner, uh, is the culinary side of it. So they have essentially now three partners, three restaurants. Um, I had a couple really great conversations when I talked to these guys about coming on to the projects. And mostly about the idea of, you know, you go to a restaurant, what do you like about the restaurant um, can be kind of this hands-off approach. I mean, if, you, if you've been in at restaurants for a long time, you go to restaurants a lot, you're, you know, you're a chef or whatever, you go to a restaurant, some of the things that really stick with you are, you know what, if I'm done with my meal, why can't I just pay and leave? You know, like this idea that hospitality is actually like this thing that, you know, can be dynamic. It doesn't have to be this, this person that comes to your table is ask you if you want dessert. You say yes, they leave, or they, they leave. They drop a menu and then they leave, and then you have to wait for them to come back to order dessert. Then you get the service attention. You order a dessert. It takes another fifteen minutes to get it. You try and get the check. Oh, they, they don't. They don't have the check for you. So, so I just you're ready to, leave. to close out you know after I mean? the main. Well, that and sounds that's, like that's, bad service, actually. There's a lot of restaurants. No, that's do that. how they are. That's what I meant by the formality of restaurants, which they break a little bit. You know what? If you if you're really you know thinking about it, all I want to do at the end of my meal is like have some sweet, maybe have a little more, and get out and just yeah. leave. Right. Can you please let me pay? Right. You know what I mean? Right. And I think it's not unusual to go to a restaurant and say, hey, you know what? Bring the you know, desserts. I'm gonna have a coffee and bring the check. So that's you are not, breaking a little bit some of the tenets of uh, traditional think, formal. Because, I mean, at the restaurants, um, for example, Pasquale Jones, we drop water on the table. It's, it's complimentary. It's filtered. It's great. Um, and you pour it yourself. 
Yeah, I agree. Some I people are like, oh, someone... they didn't pour our water. I can't believe this place. Well, I think well, hopefully we're getting past that. Those a people bit. I mean, it's are... like, come on. I mean, it's not great a service thing. is great service. You know, great, right? great service is, is when, you know, tailoring your, your service to the guest needs. And some guests want to be left alone. And I will say, Roberta's did a lot uh, to show that you don't need traditional servers to culture to be good service. But, well, here at Roberta's, I mean, everybody that serves here knows the menu very well, yeah. knows yeah, the wine list here very well. Mm-hmm. And I love the wine mm-hmm. list here because it's only eight or twelve choices, and it covers a spectrum of price points. But it, and they know it. You can yeah. it can be managed. It's not some hoary old binder of things that nobody could possibly God, comprehend. The, the part of the service I think that's really dynamic is that you know you can tailor your service to the guest needs. And you know if someone wants to be left alone, leave them alone. I it's love, not it's not about the sommelier show. It's not about the it's not the sommelier's turn to talk about his perspective. You know, it reminds me your of job me. is a sum. You go to the table. You can talk about the wine, but you know what, like. Some, nobody cares sometimes. No, sometimes you want it. Sometimes. Somebody, I, no one cares. That's right. But it reminds me of this New Yorker cartoon, which is a couple sitting at home uh, in their living room and uh, husband's answering the phone and the caption is, it's the waiter from the restaurant. He wants to know if everything is still okay. Yeah. <laughs> so, but I, I only mean to say to tie it back to the restaurant group is that that idea of service, I think, is executed very well at these restaurants mm-hmm. where you have a dynamic level of, of service that can be on a very high level, or it can be in a level where you, you leave the guests alone. It's not yeah. your show, it's their but show. But you know who was actually very right? good at that, to me, was Balthazar. They yep. had a real culture of the back waiters. So all those guys mm-hmm. were constantly clearing your water, g- getting your plate, switching the mm-hmm. tablecloth. Yeah, the, the, the servers have a huge... Uh, and what role and whether yeah. you're like I felt uncomfortable, I was stiff, yeah. uh, he was upset. I mean, I what what they've cultivated service. at the restaurants is this idea that you know <clears throat> you have uh, professionals that there's no, there's no service manual for that. Yes, you have to have really attentive people who can be dynamic and yeah. change their style of service. It's also you know like with writing, if you really know an idea, you can write it in very few words. And a good waiter is just there at those core moments. They don't have yeah. to go through the full script of everything ever written. Well, just well, to tag on to what what Tim was saying is that you know the obviously the food and the wine is very dynamic you can kind of come in for whatever you want but i think what the restaurants really put at a high premium is fun i mean mm-hmm. you can you notice that from the sort of loud music mm-hmm. uh whether you're at charlie bird um legacy or pasquale jones like you're gonna hear awesome music there's gonna be great wine if that's what you're there for there's gonna be good food great drink mm-hmm. and that's sort of like they want the restaurants to be fun sure and and it's really why wouldn't it be fun? Well, you'd be that's, surprised. You'd well, you be know, surprised. That, that you'd like, sometimes, and it doesn't seem like they thought about whether about or not this was going to be a it's fun about experience. The food, yeah. Yeah. But you know, that sounds like like you know a different generation. You know, like my parents were very stiff, very square. Where a restaurant was not fun. Yeah. It was. I, I don't know. I mean, it was like you know. I don't always think people have that in their mind when they open a restaurant. Well, the people, well, you know, my parents are the kind of people that would take joy and I would think that should be joyous no matter, <laughs> no, 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 matter no matter what it was, right. you know. Um, but to go to a restaurant and to be so stiff that you couldn't enjoy the meal and get That's, loose yeah, yeah, yeah. is yeah. ridiculous. And there's no reason why it can't be formal and fun. It can't be right. elegant and fun. It can't exactly. be elevated and fun. And Legacy is a great example of that. Legacy right? Records. Yeah, I mean, it's by far our sort of you know most ambitious project in a Tell beautiful. Tell us about that. Well, it's in an absolutely gorgeous space and. You know, it feels amazing to be in there. Where but is you, it? It's on uh, 38th and 10th. So it's it's close to Hudson. Oh. I know, I know. <laughs> right on the edge, right on the I, edge of Armageddon. The edge that's of where he date, That's where he found most of his dates growing up, was right in that same <laughs> in the, neighborhood. In the horse stables. Right. When, it was, yeah, when it was still stables and railroad yards. <laughs> strip club across the street. Tell us about your ovens. 
you have these big ovens at Pasquale Jones. I'm always fascinated by what did you pick? How hot does it get? So what makes <laughs> your so ovens funny. unique? People always sit across the bar and then, you know, I wish, you know, you, you have this conversation about it. You know, they say, hey, you know, how hot does that oven get? And you tell them and then they just raise their eyebrows and go, oh. <laughs> they have no idea what it means. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. oh, 900 Fahrenheit. Oh, that's pretty hot. Right. Like, they have a reference point. Like, oh, for, okay. Yeah. Yeah. They're like, okay, I'll anyway, they're made, that. They're made by a uh, mason. His name is Stefano Ferrara. He's just outside of Napoli. The ovens, uh, the flooring is actually made of this uh, volcanic stone. Um, I think they're kind of like the kind of a, the race car of, of pizza ovens because okay. they are, they're sort of delicate in a way. Uh, I think, honestly, you know, a lot of people who get these ovens, you get a couple cracks in them, but uh, they make great pizza. They're so you mean they're delicate? Because if it cracks, it can't hold its high temp. Well, it, it, it does, but I mean, lots of people who buy them have, you know, a crack or two right now, I think, for sure. So they're it delicate, would... like marble or something. You know, <coughs> I think in a sense, crack, yeah. yeah. I mean, that's just incidental. But anyway, we bought the ovens, which, by the way, don't buy an oven in Napoli from an Italian guy um, in July because there's an <laughs> Italian holiday called Ferragosto, which yeah. the further south you go in Italy, the less people work. So we got the ovens, you know, they stopped working I, on them in I, August. I love Napoli, but you said, like, you shouldn't buy an oven from, you know, a guy in Napoli. Yeah. I thought you were going to stop there, but it's very specific. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, Napoli is so famous for crime. Yeah, you know, you know, in Napoli, that's where they wear their, their watches on their right hand side, right? You know the story because if you're in your car and you're, you know, you're, you know, yeah, yeah. your left hand's out the window, someone's gonna take the watch off your wrist. They love right? watches down there. I don't know. <laughs> I did the same thing. I was there. It's actually, crazy the same fucking trip. place, Napoli. And I love because Napoli. I, I understand Italian, I heard some guys talking about like, oh, these guys got some nice watches here. So when chef, <laughs> and when I took you my watch off, put it in my pocket. The further south you get, the less they work. I once asked my friend, where does that line start? Where they start? And he said, the first town south of you. <laughs> so uh, anyway, they're great ovens, yeah. and um, you know, <laughs> it took us a while to get them. Um, the the Roberta's oven was claimed to have been lost at sea. The guys were like, "We're ruined." Right, these guys put them on slow boats, sea. right? Yep, yeah, slow boats. Like, so, uh, uh, who are your mentors? Give me one mentor, one mentor each, uh, Mike. Is Eric this still on question line? is not for you. Yeah, Eric goes next. Okay, he's going to get the Eric mentor too. question, then we're going to get to Eric's two questions. <clears throat> I mean, I have two major mentors. Go, I, tell I us. Uh, Daniel Holm and Michael Tusk. Oh, shit. Quince, Catonia, 11 Madison Park. Those are pretty top restaurants. <laughs> Quince is probably, I mean, top restaurant in San Francisco. I mean, the place where you eat literally the best food, right? Or close. I've been to I mean, he, you know, Mike has cultivated so many cool relationships with all these yeah. farmers and yeah. stuff that, you know, you can't just, you can't just order the product he gets. It's, it, it just shows up. Mm -hmm. He's got these, you know, kind of handshake agreements with some, you know, all these people that, you know, eighty pounds of quinces just show up one day, and you're mm -hmm. like, okay, I guess we ordered quinces today. <laughs> and that's it's have like you that been to Verjou? with everything. No, I haven't been out there since they opened that, but I've, I've. Uh, and Daniel Holmes, so you work for both these guys? Yeah, or, I spent uh, a lot of time okay. both of those guys. Well, Daniel Holmes seems to be doing pretty well for himself. <laughs> How about you? Uh, I guess I'm going to say Mark Ladner and Mike Anthony. Shit, good, two good guys. Yeah. I mean, as a as a young cook, I mean, the real remarkable part is just even as a line cook for both of them, you know, they were both available to me and they were mm -hmm. not, you know, these figures that I never got to talk to. I mean, they were there to both mm -hmm. teach and really push their vision forward, but also make themselves, you know, accessible to me. And that was pretty special as like a young cook in the industry. Well, as you know, Mark Ladner took that first trip out there with us and right? commissioned the Red Waddle Pigs to get grown. That's how I heard it started. So... Um, Eric, who's your mentor, publisher, newspaper man? 
Well, I guess I, I have to say good old uh, Hunter S. Thompson, doctor of journalism, uh, it kind of taught me that there's always something disgusting going on, and the system is always kind of working against you. So just to be alert and uh, do the best you can to tell the everyday people uh, how to protect themselves. But uh, the sort of everyday people that made a huge difference in my life would have to be Dennis Evanoski, Julia Park Tracy, Eric Tarowski, Jim Spratley. They've all been my partners over the years, and they've each done a little bit to set the tone of this paper, and uh, they really have all made it possible, so I thank them. What's your greatest challenge? Just the one thing where we're like, if anyone's thinking about opening a newspaper, the one thing they really have to reckon with. Oh, just getting over that fear that everybody in the world is saying that newspapers are over, and yet, you know, millions of newspapers are printed every single day, and people do make their livings off of it, and some of us enjoy it. How do you raise um, money? Fact, Sponsorship well, or we, subscriptions? Both. Uh, you know, subscriptions and advertising, primarily. Um, and basically everything else we can do, we do uh, graphic design services, and uh, we also have a whole uh, history department. Um, we have something like 11 local history books that um, myself and my partner, Dennis Evanoski, have been involved in. And we sell those. We do history talks. We do history tours of our local towns. And uh, uh, just so you know, one of those, uh, probably the most famous of those books is San Francisco Then and Now. You might have heard of, there's probably a New York Then and Now or a Manhattan Then and Now or something like that. And this is part of that same series. But uh, Dennis and I uh, work for a, a London publisher who does these books, and uh, he's contracted us to do uh, a number of them at this point. And uh, so what? those help so add to hustle. our, our credibility hustle, and all that. It's a hustle. How many viewers do you have? Or readers? Readers? So I well, say viewers. We circulate twenty four thousand free copies every every week. We have about seven thousand unique visitors to our website. Which, by the way. Everything that appears in the print edition also appears online. For free? So if you purchase, yeah, for free. If you purchase a print advertisement, it also appears online. So uh, I just like to say that, you know, all of these websites that are promoting their advertising don't have a print <coughs> edition. I, I have a print edition to go with my website, so I have something more cool. to offer. I like than that feel, yeah. the feel of newspaper like in my hands. I like yeah, me too. It's very I get the Times it, delivered. It's very important, and, and, and um, you know, Eric obviously knows this, but you know, advertisers love print because you know people spend more time with a print ad than they do on a website ad. They're much more likely to respond to a print ad than they are to something they see on the Carlo Pacini used to say all the exactly time, true. how can I grow my slow food movement without something sitting on their print dining room table? Print is fantastic, and I'm always, you know, you know, as someone who's been a print journalist my whole life, and writes books, books soon to be an art, you know, a thing of the past. Um, you know, people, there's, there's a gravitas that comes with print. There's a tactile experience that comes with print. It's, you know, it's not just a bunch of ones and zeros. It lasts. It's durable. It's it's like affordable luxury. There's so much to be said for print. I do think we should revisit on a future show that we'll have Eric back and talk about what he was getting at about media consolidation because this is one of the things that we really need to fear in America. What, what Eric's doing is an independent weekly newspaper is look where the Village Voice is. It's out of fucking business. The Village Voice, one of the great papers in the world, was bought by one of those companies. Um, you know, when two companies basically owned every alternate week, news weekly in the country, you know, from the LA Weekly to the, um, what was the paper in San Francisco called? But, you know. Chronicle? Um, Chronicle, yeah. The Guardian. The Guardian, thank oh, yeah. you. Um, and, you know, the, the uh, Seattle paper just went out of business. I mean, the Village Voice was one of the great 
bastions of journalism, and they great took away section. the local reporting. They did great local reporting, and they had their own stories, people. They had their own people reviewing books, and suddenly some cat in Phoenix was reviewing books for fifteen, or then later thirty, and then finally you know fifty something newspapers. There was no local arts coverage. Eric, do you have good I, writers? Do you get good content from your journalism crew, or do you oh, get yeah. bad stuff Absolutely. and you have to fix it? Oh, well, yeah, we get plenty of that, too. But uh, I think one of the points on that end is that we kind of set a tone early on that we weren't going to be dumbing down our text for our readers. Um, We're we're not going to shoot for, like, a fifth-grade level or whatever the journalistic trend is. And we're just going to, you know, we have some really erudite people that write for us, uh, including local teachers. And we just kind of let their words stand. We don't try to, like, find a simpler way of saying it. Mike, what um, were you trying to do at high times? What were you shooting for? Eighth grade? No. Grade? <laughs> <laughs> Listen, let me tell you something. Um, boy, you know, I, was, I worked at high times almost 20 years ago. And I'm still wearing that around my neck like a... Uh, like, like, like a bastion of honor. Like an albatross shaped bong. It. You love it. <laughs> no, I'm proud of it, of course. But listen, you never write down to the reader. You make the reader come up to you. I mean, I always feel that, you know? When I, when, you know, it's like when, when if you've ever taken a, a martial art, if you're ever a student at karate, you, you don't drag the belt down to you. You have to uh, ascend to the belt. And, you know, your readers should feel smart for reading you. You should not, you know, that's very, very important. Otherwise, there's no benefit to it. That's and the dumbest the, thing I've ever and, heard. And by the way, Eric, can, can Patrick come to Alameda and work for you, please? Yeah, he wants to get rid of me. He wants to use as an intern, regicide. Well, as an unpaid intern, sure. But the, I just want to point out: yeah, I mean, we have we a really go. small staff, um, and uh, that's probably part of the reason why we remain profitable. But um, but I am sitting on a profitable print newspaper in the middle of basically Silicon Valley. Uh, last year, we cleared that's something awesome. like a hundred thousand dollars on the bottom line. So. Uh, Mike is like, I don't know, that number is too high. I don't understand it. No, that's more than heritage. But that's good for us. That's very good. Congratulations. We're cheering for you. We want you on here. I think you should eventually do one of those shows that send in the podcast so we air your views here on the network as well. Good luck out there. We're pulling for you. If we could buy your copies here, we would. They're free, Patrick. You're listening to Go to alamedasun.com. And it's also online. All right. Well, (laughs) thanks for listening to the main course. Thanks to our chefs. Thanks to Heritage Radio Network. Thanks to our sponsors. See you guys. Thanks to G. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content and to learn more about our 10-year anniversary celebration happening all year long, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Instagram and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. You can also find us at facebook.com slash heritageradionetwork. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Subscribe to the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join the HRN family by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.